When I was uh, an intern, we used to teach a different book on Sunday than we did on Wednesday. And so you'd be teaching from 1 Peter, and then on Wednesday you'd be teaching from Galatians. And so I would say, Peter wrote to the Galatians and said, which is not true. It's Paul. You get a little confused. Now we teach the same book. Uh, I mention that because I am teaching night church this Sunday. So most of the day I've spent teaching 1 Thessalonians. So if I say that the church at Thessalonica was divided, just please understand I mean the church at Corinth. Um, I'm actually on Sunday, November 5th, I'm teaching big church. That's what we affectionately call it. And I thought, awesome, I'm going to teach 1 Corinthians. Uh, but there's an adult Sunday school doing it, so I'll have to uh, look at something else to teach. So I'm excited about that opportunity. Uh, today we are once again dealing with diversity. And I, I honestly cannot tell you if it's part 7 or part 8. But uh, we are talking about Paul, the scum of the world. And I know he's not really the scum of the world, but that's what he calls himself in our passage today. Read with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes, so that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written, so that no one of you will become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? You, you are already filled. You have already become rich. You have become kings without us. And indeed, I wish that you had become kings so that we also might reign with you. For I think God has exhibited us apostles, last of all, as men condemned to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are, you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty and are poorly clothed and are roughly treated and are homeless. We toil working with our own hands when we are reviled. We bless. And when we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for Paul, for Apollos. We thank you for the apostles and the foundation that they laid, which is your son, Christ Jesus. And we thank you for their humility. Men who displayed such amazing power through your spirit. And they were so quick to give you the credit, to give you the glory. And as Paul is sarcastically handling the difficulties going on in the church at Corinth, we learn that if we want to be united with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to be humble. We need to submit to you. We need to submit to one another. And we need to trust your wisdom. We love you, Lord. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Now, when I hear the word scum, I think of, not you, all right? Quit pointing at people. 
I think of little rascals. And there's different various little rascals. There is the little rascal of like the black and white, right, which you probably never watched, and maybe I watched one or two. But there is a, one of my childhood. And uh, there's this phrase where someone's da-da-da-da-da, and someone's reading this letter. I think it, maybe it's Alpha, Alpha wanted to write a love letter to Darla, and the boys, the He-Man Woman Hater Club, didn't want this frou-frou thing being read, so they read it as if Alfalfa called Darla, Dear Darla, you are scum between my toes. And they totally, you know how guys do that, sabotaged Alfalfa's relationship with Darla, which is fine because they were quite young, were they not? The word scum really means refuse. It is the most abject and despicable of men. The word dregs is that which is, would be wiped off. Dirt that's rubbed off, scrapings. So you think of the, the grossest thing that you've ever accidentally stepped in or you've put your hand in. You know, I've done the thing where I'm just walking around twirling my keys and the keys fall into the trash can. Ugh. I got lucky sometimes, but other times not so lucky. Paul describes himself and his fellow apostles as this. But why? Remember, we're still dealing with divisiveness. And there are those who have made accusations, and there's those who, who are opposing Paul. And he's making a point here, saying, look, the world doesn't love me because I love God. The world hates me because I love God. The world thinks that we're slow and that we're ignorant and that we're backwards because we adhere to an ancient document that they don't believe in. And you know what? That's just fine for Paul. That's just fine for Paul. He wasn't worried about his popularity or his clout or his social status. He wasn't worried about money and material possessions. He just wanted to see Christ glorified. He wanted to see his church walking in unity. The outline is there to help you as I kind of quickly review where we've been. We first saw the exhortation for unification in chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. He wants them to be of one mind. That is the mind of Christ. And then he turns to the role of God's wisdom in unification. And wisdom is both knowing and doing the right thing. And we as a church, the church at Corinth, if you want to be unified, you need one mind. And so that mind is the mind of Christ. We saw the dominance of God's wisdom, the distribution of God's wisdom, the deterrent to God's wisdom, which was their own lack of growth and consistency. We see the dissolving of disunity by God's wisdom. And then we're now on this section, the disciples of God's wisdom. The disciples of God's wisdom. And we first of all saw three illustrations from the disciples of wisdom. And I love what he says in chapter 4, verse 6. He says, now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes. Well, what is he talking about? Well, in verses chapter 3, 5 through 9, he calls himself a farmer. And then 10 through 17, he's a builder. And then in chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, he's a what? He's a steward. I'll let you in on a little secret. He's not actually a farmer. He's not a builder. He's not a steward either. But he has figuratively applied these illustrations 
to show you who he is to God. With the farmer, he is displaying a unified servitude. With the builder, he is showing obedient servitude. And with the steward, he is showing trustworthy servitude. Chapter 4, verse 1, Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. God has entrusted to them the mysteries, just like God entrusted the Israelites with the commandments and with the oracles. And they were supposed to live it out, and they were supposed to be faithful to preserve it and to teach others. Paul has been entrusted with so much from God, he is to be faithful with it. Verse 2, in this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. You ever had a friend hold something for you? Maybe you were going to jump in the pool and you needed someone to hold your phone or maybe to hold your money or whatever it might be. You don't pick the deceitful one. You don't pick the forgetful one, the one that's going to drop it, right? You need to be faithful. But to me, verse 3, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not, I do not even examine myself. For I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted, but the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts, and then each man's praise will come to him from God. Paul says, I've got nothing to hide. I am a trustworthy steward. I am a trustworthy steward. When we get to verse 6, we are now going to see the fourth illustration from the disciples of wisdom. And unlike the farmer or the builder or the steward, all of those things are honorable, right? You may not want to be a farmer, but you can sure appreciate the hardworking farmer and all of those things. I know you're not builders because I saw how you stacked these chairs last Wednesday night. All right, they were just like Jenga. It was just leaning over, about to topple over with a breath. Little tip. You don't have to take five chairs and lift them up and throw them on top. Just one at a time will do. The ladies ain't watching. One at a time will do. Nice and straight. All right? I don't know. Maybe the ladies are watching. Now, the, the steward. Then that's a positive thing, right? Well, here, Paul calls himself the scum of the world. And this is the fourth illustration. And with this... We are, we are focusing on humble servitude. Humble servitude. Can you think of any examples in the Bible where someone's pride led to disunity? Can you think of anybody? And when I ask that, I mean, I want you to tell me. Yes, strange child that I do not know. Satan, yes, all right, the origin of sin, right? Satan's jealousy in his own heart caused him to rebel, all right? It was his pride. That's where sin began. Perfect harmony. A third of the angels were cast out because of Satan's pride. Isaiah? Yeah, he was, I'm the king, I'm going to get what I want, that type of thing. And eventually, that's going to rip the kingdom in two. It's very difficult. Good one. Is there another time you can think of where pride destroyed and brought disunity? 
look at this guy. That's why we pay him extra. Yeah, the church at Corinth. I am of this, and I am of that, and I am hot stuff, and I am this. And pride is what's dissolving it. It's what's hurting it. Thinking maybe anything in the Old Testament that maybe you read in Numbers or a book like that. Greedy? Yeah, Ananias and Sapphira. Their selfishness to promote themselves. Everything's going great with the church, but they had to throw that in there. Remember the sons of Korah? Why does Aaron get to be the high priest? Why is it his line? Man. And, and they died because of that. Remember Miriam and Moses and Aaron? That's actually the, the, the chapter I'm leaning towards teaching in, uh, in Big Church. Where they were um, disgruntled with Moses and his new wife. And so they opposed him. All right? There's in the leadership... There is pride that was welling up. Why is it Moses that we should follow? Look at Moses and his sin. We need to put on humility to help promote unity. It makes sense, right? If you think you're hot stuff and everyone else is here to serve you, it's the wrong attitude. My small group leader is here to serve me rather than how can I be a blessing to them? I know that leader's been at work all day or they've been with their family all day and now they're here pouring into me instead of being like, gimme, gimme, gimme. My friends aren't here just to meet my needs and make me feel better. How do I help them? How do I encourage them? How do I build them up? It's the, it's the mindset. So in verse 7, we see three questions to produce humility. And I love... When I used to teach school... Right? And I taught fifth graders. You know what fifth graders don't get? Sarcasm. You know what I'm really good at? Sarcasm. And by really good at, I think I'm good at it, but they, you probably think I'm lame. All right? But I, all day I would throw in, hey, uh, Mr. Turner, uh, and most of the time I tell them to call me Mr. Justin because Mr. Turner is my father. Uh, you know, Mr. Justin, where do I put that in? Or where do I put this? Where do I turn it in? And I'm like, that's a great question you know what I should do? I should, I should find some sort of a bin and I should label it with your class. And anytime you want to turn something in, you should put it in that bin. And they're like, yes! Yeah, yes! I'm like, it's over there. All right. Well, Paul is going to get a little sarcastic in this chapter. When he says some of the things he's saying, like, Oh, you're kings. He wasn't really saying they were kings. He's being facetious. Here we have three questions to produce humility. And you don't have to write it all down. You can make a note, whatever it is. The first one is, for who regards you as superior? Look, you think you know it all? You think people should follow you? Who regards you as superior? I mean, let's make a list, okay? Okay, no one. So why are you puffing yourself up? Why are you promoting yourself? Or I look at the list and it's like, well, those guys aren't the, the brightest crayons in the bulb or whatever you want to say. Sharpest tool in the shed. It reminds me of Job. Remember, Job went through some terrible situations. And God was putting him through it to bring himself glory and to point out Job's faithfulness. But Job developed this attitude that, man, if I could just get alone with God in the courtroom of justice, 
I'll teach God a thing or two. I'll show God what's up. Job 38, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man. There's one thing. You don't want God to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, and I never knew you. You also don't want him to say, now gird up your loins like a man. I will ask you and you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the word? Tell me if you have understanding. And we know he goes through all the list. And what does Job do? He goes, you're right. I elevated myself as superior to you, God. And I was wrong. Job 40, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Job, Will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Once I have spoken, I will not answer even twice. And I will add nothing more. That's the attitude that the Corinthians need right now. Their church is in trouble. They need to say, Paul, what do you got? I mean, we've talked about this before, but imagine sitting in the church that morning. Hey, Paul wrote us a letter, guys. Let's go. Yeah, Paul, we love Paul. Let's do this. And they sit down there, and then boom, he starts blasting you. Talk about an awkward Sunday. Talk about an awkward Sunday. Well, the second question, what do you have that you did not receive? I mean, you have life. Did you create yourself? No. You have air to breathe. Again, not you. You have parents. You receive them. They, they have money. You don't really have money. They give that money to you. They buy you things, all of that stuff. And he, he's saying, look, just take a moment, okay? Even the wealthiest person, Elon Musk or Bill Gates or whoever it is, even what they have, isn't it God that has given it to them for a time? So are you really going to elevate yourself above God, above others? When we're, when we're poor in spirit, when we're humble and hungry and thirsting for righteousness, then our mindset is better. It's better. Question number three. And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? I call this the rich kid syndrome. The rich kids who have the, fa the fancy cars and they ride around like they're hot stuff. Well, what did they do to get all this money and fancy clothes and fancy car? Nothing. They were simply born. It's their parents that have money. And they received it, but then they what? They flaunt it like they're something special. The point being, we must humble ourselves. Must humble ourselves. And these questions are to get them thinking and to get them saying, you know what? You're right. You're right. Now we have three sarcastic remarks to produce humility. Three sarcastic remarks to produce 
humility. Number one, you are already filled. Uh, satiated, all right? Uh, you're not going hungry. You have enough. You have what you need. But you not only have what you need, you have more. So, okay, Corinthians, <laughs> okay, you think you're awesome. You think that you've got this figured out. All right, I guess you're already filled. You got what you need. Secondly, you have already become rich. I mean, who am I to instruct and to teach you? You, you have it all, and you have it in abundance, which reminds me of the church at Laodicea. Remember in the book of Revelation, one of the seven churches, Jesus said, because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy, you have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy gold from me, refined by fire, so that you may become rich. And white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. That church, all right, had money. It had wealth. It had a, a thriving clothing industry. They even had the whole I salve thing. They were known for that. They were popular in it. And that church was sitting back saying, wow, we must be great because we're loaded. And Jesus is saying, no, you, don't, you don't get it. You need to repent. You need to come to me for instruction and for your daily bread that I will provide for you. Thirdly, the third sarcastic remark, you have become kings without us. And indeed, I wish that you had become king so that we might also reign with you. Oh, who am I, a, a lowly apostle, called on the road to Damascus by God himself, gifted with the Holy Spirit, able to speak in tongues, able to do miraculous powers, can teach the word of God. Oh, but you're, you're a king. You're a king. Why would you listen to, to little old me? And again, Paul is not being prideful himself, but he's saying, I want you to just think about this for a little bit. And sometimes we do this with our parents. We think we know more as if they haven't already been your age and walked through your circumstances. Not that we as parents always get it right. Okay, there's times that we, close your ears, Tucker, we make mistakes or we make a wrong decision or something like that. But overall, you're, you're listening to them, right? You're obviously honoring and obeying them, but this whole you don't know how I feel type of mentality. I know better than you. I don't need to listen to you and your advice. Well, it's the same way with Paul. They need to listen to Paul. He's saying, look, you're, you're not hot stuff. You're not royalty. And Paul's saying, I'm not hot stuff. I'm not royalty either. I'm just simply a farmer. I am a builder. I'm a steward. How did a steward get what they have? Someone gave it to them. And all they're doing is being trustworthy with what they have been given. Next, we have three sarcastic comparisons to produce humility. Three sarcastic comparisons to produce humility. Verse 10. The first one, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. Oh, we're just, 
We're just ignorant wretches over here. But you, oh, you're wise. You're wiser than wise. You don't need to listen to us. Number two, we are weak. Oh, but you, you're strong. I'm little and you're big. Number three, you are distinguished. But we, man, we're without honor. And he's using these beautiful comparisons to get them to reflect and to look at themselves and to say, maybe I should listen to Paul. Maybe I should trust him. Maybe I should do what Paul is asking me to do. Maybe I, I don't know everything. Maybe I don't have all the answers. There's one illustration next, and I know we've got lots of numbers, so that's why I wanted to give you the, the outline. One illustration to produce humility. He starts with verse 9. He says, For I think God has exhibited us as apostles last of all, as men condemned to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. So he gives them their job description. And I think maybe I gave you a, a bold circle right there. Their job description. And remember, an apostle is someone that has seen the risen Lord and that has been directly commissioned by Christ to preach the gospel and to be an apostle. Okay, so we do not have apostles now. Paul was the last of the apostles. He calls himself as one untimely called. But their job description should produce humility. Okay, if you're lining up, okay, what do I want to be in the kingdom? All right, my, my buddy Dave and I, all right, we used to want to be, you, you, Revelation, you read Revelation? In the tribulation, there's two what? Two really cool dudes, and what are they called? The witnesses. There's the two witnesses, okay? And so we used to play uh, WCW and WO wrestling, and you could create your own character. And we created our characters like in sackcloth, and, and we were the witnesses, and it was really cool. We were like, man, that'd be awesome, because I think they get to like breathe fire and do all sorts of awesome stuff. They get killed, but you know, they get resurrected and things like that. If you're thinking of like, man, in the kingdom, right up there is parking lot attendant. But just below that's apostle, right? No. I mean, the apostle's like, woo. Yeah. Sign me up for that. You know, we elevate the teacher, the pastor, the elder, knowing that we're, we really are all equal in Christ and we're all equally gifted to, to uh, serve how he wants us to serve. But an apostle would be like, woo. Yeah, that's, that's right up there, okay? But he calls themselves, verse 9, Men condemned to death. Men condemned to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. He says, For I think that last of all, we are as men condemned to death, a spectacle to the world. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And that Son chose apostles 
to bring his message and to record it in the Bible. 1 John, I want you to go to 1 John 1. Remember when uh, was it James and John went to Jesus with their mom and asked to sit at the right hand of the Jesus, one on the right and one on the left? You always got to bring your mom along when you ask things like that. And he said, look, you, you can't drink the cup that I'm going to drink. And they're like, yeah, cup. Yeah, sure we can. He, he meant the death and the suffering. They weren't ready for that. But these apostles that were handpicked, John says in 1 John 1, what was from the beginning? What we have heard. Now, he doesn't have a mouse in his pocket. You know that phrase, right? We, you got a little me and a little mouse. He's talking about the apostles. The apostles. What the apostles have heard, what the apostles have seen with our own eyes, what the apostles have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. The apostles walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus. And learned sitting at his feet. And they got to go lay the foundation of the gospel. That's amazing. But what does Paul call these apostles? We are simply men condemned to death. Would you sign up for that? The other part sounds kind of cool. I get to perform a miracle or speak in tongues or something like that. Those apostolic gifts. Are you ready to die? What happened to Peter? Legend says he was crucified upside down. What happened to Paul? They say he was beheaded. The only one that we know of, John, that wasn't uh, condemned to death, was exiled on an island of Patmos. All the other ones were executed. They're executed. And if they had it to do over again, they would do the same thing, but with more fervency. They would do the same thing. This illustration should produce humility. The apostles themselves, they weren't doing it for them. They weren't doing it for their glory. They were doing it for the glory of Christ and for the people that they ministered to. The leaders were servants. Their servants. You see in verse 11, their lifestyle. Their lifestyle. He says, to this present hour, we are living in a dreary inn in suites with soft robes and, what do you call that, room service brought to us every morning. Right? No! This isn't like a high school summer camp. To this present hour, we're both hungry and thirsty. Hey, I have a, I have a job for you. Oh, I, I would like a job. What kind of job is it? Well, it's a pretty high-ranking job. Oh, that's awesome. What are the benefits? Hunger. Really? Can you add in a side of thirstiness? Absolutely. 
They're poorly clothed. They're roughly treated. They are homeless. Now, it's not like today's homeless where they just don't want to work, and that's why they're homeless most of the time. They said, we, we don't have a place to lay our head. I go to Corinth, I get run out of town. I go over here and people want to kill me. I go over here, I, I got to run for my life. I, got, I just love people. I'm going to be thrown in prisons. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be beheaded. Hmm. What about their work? This is why they took the job. We toil working with our own hands. Simon Kistemacher says every Jewish boy had to learn a trade, usually from his father to support himself. Jesus became a carpenter. John and James were fishermen. Paul was a tent maker. Even though Paul's trade was considered menial, he was not ashamed of it at all. In both Acts and Paul's epistles, uh, Paul references his readiness to work with his own hand. Yet in the Hellenistic culture of that day, Greeks disdained manual labor. They were of the opinion that physical labor had to be performed by slaves. By working with his hands, Paul lowered his status in the eyes of the local citizens. But why did Paul work as a tent maker? Was he not worthy of being paid for his ministry and service? Yeah. We don't have time to go there, but in 2 Corinthians, it's a defense of his apostleship. And he very clearly states that, you know, you shouldn't muzzle the ox, right, when he's threshing. That there are men in ministry that should be paid and compensated. Praise the Lord, right? That's what, that's what I get to do. But why do you think Paul didn't take payment for his ministry? Catherine? A little louder. So it didn't look like he was begging? What else? Thinking caps? Didn't look like he was begging, Peter? To show he wasn't in it for the money. You know what? If you're in it for the money, you go into youth ministry, okay? <laughs> then it's just, no, I'm kidding. All right? What, what are you going to say, Isaiah? So that, so that people wouldn't think, he should join it all for the money. Uh, yeah, absolutely. He wanted to show up in town and he wanted to work just like everybody else. And think of that. Think of the people that worked with their hands in Corinth. They're like, he's one of us. Yes. Brings unity, right? But he's willing to work hard. He's not just freeloading over here. He's not just, you know, selling some snake oil to get our money and then riding out of town like some charlatan. He doesn't even want our money. He wants to love us. He wants to serve us. It's special. When we are reviled, we bless. Now, why is that? Why is that? Because they're there to bring people to Christ. And if I'm sharing the gospel and I'm getting angry and mad and upset at the people that I'm sharing with, 
No, I want to confront them with the truth. I want to love them so much that they see me loving them and that they will repent and believe in Christ. When we are persecuted, we endure. We endure. So, of, so much of our culture is set up today to hit the rip, the rip cord and parachute out of whatever circumstance you're in. It says, no, 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 we're in this for the long haul. Number four, when we are slandered, we try to conciliate. You talk bad about us, we're going to try to reconcile with you in the situation that we're in. He says, we have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. And you know what? They love doing it. They love doing it. And all of this, all of this is to help, application point one, the Corinthians to cut out pride from their life. So just write, cut out pride from their life. Remember when God is speaking to Job, he says in Job 42, Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things. I know that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear now, and I will speak. I will ask you, and you will instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I retract, and I repent in dust and ashes. God can work with Job now. This should be our attitude. It should be our church's attitude. It should be our youth group's attitude. God, you speak and I'll listen. I'm going to open up your Bible and I'm going to read what you say and I'm going to do it because I am insignificant and you are mighty and you are holy. But then you also need to cultivate humility. Cut out pride. Prideful thoughts, prideful comments, prideful pursuits. Cultivate humility. How do you do that? You understand who God is and you love others. And when you love others, you love them as you love yourself. You consider them better than yourself and in doing so. You ever been around selfless, humble people? Isn't it awesome? Isn't it awesome? Be that type of Christian. Be that type of Christian. Now, if you're here tonight and all this sounds like something you don't want a part of, it's because you're not in Christ. You need to turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus. And then he will rescue you and he will give you the victory over pride and he will enable you to exhibit humility. But apart from him, you will be cast into the lake of fire. But he offers you salvation even tonight so that you can be a servant of him just like Paul. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the preciousness of your word, the truth that it contains. Help us to identify prideful areas in our life, prideful pursuits, and please break us of those things. Help us to be humble, submitting to you, submitting to your word, submitting to the leadership that you put in place of us, submitting to one another in love. Then disunity will dissolve away and all that's left is a purified bride united to advance your kingdom.
It's in your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen.